Welcome to the Orange Socks Podcast, where we are inspiring life despite a diagnosis. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Nebaker. I had the pleasure of meeting with Jessica and Jonathan, who have two boys with unique medical conditions. I asked Jessica and Jonathan to explain their family dynamic. They have two sons, six-year-old Trent and Jacob, who is four. The boys both attend school and love to play sports and stay active. While both boys have a hormone deficiency disorder, Trent is more medically complex. Trent has been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, vision impairments, a sensory processing disorder, developmental delays, and anxiety. Jessica has experienced loss in her family growing up. She had a brother pass away from holoprosencephaly. Her brother's passing greatly shaped her perspective and how she views her own boys. Both Jessica and Jonathan choose to see their son's abilities and not focus on their disabilities. They are grateful that they are alive and in their families. When asked what a typical day looks like, Jessica says they make sure every day is planned out so they can inform Trent on what is expected for the day. Trent does receive hormone therapy through injections and gets shots every day. Jacob has yet to start the hormone therapy, but it is anticipated that he will start soon. Interestingly, it took over three years for Trent to receive his diagnosis. After going to a lot of doctors, they found a complex care pediatrician, and that was life-changing. When they met with her the first time, the doctor had a pen and paper in hand and took very detailed notes. She asked questions and truly cared about his medical and behavioral history. After hearing all of Trent's symptoms, the doctor admitted that she did not know what Trent had, but she assembled a team and she reached out to Jessica and Jonathan personally through phone calls. This team of doctors reached and eventually diagnosed Trent with a hormone deficiency disorder. She continues to manage Trent's case and has even started monitoring Jacob. She is also the one to diagnose Trent's other conditions. When they received other diagnoses, Jessica initially felt relief. She was relieved she no longer had to battle doctors for a diagnosis, but shortly after, she felt fear and grief. What Trent has is rare, and Jessica didn't know what to expect for the future. She shared how she's able to cope with the grief. Jessica said that for a long time, she was so determined to find a way to help Trent that she pushed the grief to the side. After Jessica allowed herself to feel the grief, she was able to move past it. The grief is still there, and probably always will be, but she handles it better now. Jonathan explains how he feels about the situation three years after receiving the diagnosis. Jonathan feels very optimistic and confident that Trent has a bright future. Jessica says she still fears the unknown. For example, two years ago, Trent had genetic testing done, and recently, the company's medical geneticist re-ran that DNA test and found something. They don't know yet what it is and are expecting a call any day to go over these new findings. In the meantime, this fear of the unknown is very hard for Jessica to work through. The plus side is that Jessica feels confident in her knowledge she has gained of the various diagnoses. She can talk to doctors and ask questions and be more involved in the conversations of his treatment. Even though Jessica and Jonathan have experienced hardships, they also have experienced wonderful joys. For years, Jessica was told that Trent would be held back in school. But one day, she received a picture of a certificate that read, Trent is kindergarten ready. For her, that was huge, and that helped Trent feel like a typical child. 
He was so proud of himself and was so happy. He had never experienced that before. Part of the joys they have experienced as a family are watching Trent and Jacob interact with extended family. Jessica says her dad has a very special relationship with the boys. They are like the three musketeers. After the diagnosis, Jessica realized that her parents and sister were grieving too. They were grieving because Jessica was struggling with the emotionality of the situation and how to continue moving forward. And they were grieving for the boys. Jessica's mom has always been supporting and loving, and her sister acts as a sounding board for Jessica. And importantly, they love the boys. Jessica has advice for parents in similar situations. She says to follow your instincts. She had a really difficult time in the beginning and wishes she would have pushed harder at first rather than simply trusting what the medical professionals said. She says, you are the expert on your child. Continue to advocate for them and ask questions and do your research. Jessica further stresses, you are the number one most important person in your child's team. Keep that at the forefront of your mind. And doing that is what gets Jessica through. Jessica didn't stop there. Once she decided she was actually a critical part of Trent's medical care team, as opposed to an observer, she started challenging and asking more questions. She was able to decide what was best and worked with the doctors to get it. Jessica was able to advocate for Trent more. She was able to say what things were working and what things were not. Jessica became his voice and she felt more empowered each time. That advocacy led Jessica to want to help other families and teach them that they can ask questions too. They don't have to come into a room and be a secondary person. They can come in and talk for their child. Advocacy turned into a big passion for Jessica and she wanted to help other families so she founded an organization called Collaborative Corner for Exceptional Children. Collaborative Corner is a nonprofit organization and they have many specialists like speech and occupational therapists, behaviorists and education advocates at the ready to help families. They are also a sounding board for families and there is no cost for their service. Jessica says, first and foremost, she wants to give parents a place where they can go for acceptance and for answers. Tell me about your family, how many children you have, uh, ages and okay. those things. Well, we're a very close family, the four of us. We have two boys. I'm Jessica and my husband, Jonathan. And we have Joseph Trenton. He's our first son. He comes from a long, his name comes from a long line of Joseph's. My great-grandfather, grandfather, my father, my brother, um, whom passed away at birth of uh, holoprosencephaly, and then this Joseph. So his name holds a lot of meaning for us. He is nicknamed Joe T by my dad, but he goes by Trent. So that's what we can call it. We call him Joe. Joe T or Trent? Which one? Trent? Trent. And then Jacob is our second born. He is just turned four. And his middle name is Scott after his dad. Trent is in the second grade. He's in the public school system. He does really well in the public school system. A lot of great accommodations. Jake is in a pre-K class at a different school and looking forward to going to Big Brother School, hopefully next year. Okay, so tell me about some of the special needs. So both boys have growth hormone deficiency. So that basically affects their pituitary gland is what it is. And they both work at different rates. 
they both have the same growth hormone deficiency <laughs> diagnosis, but Trent's pituitary gland works at a rate of 30%. Jake's works at 70%. So Trent's is more severe. He's got a Reiki's cleft cyst that sits at the base of his pituitary gland. Once that was diagnosed, more diagnoses came for him. He's on the autism spectrum. He also has combined type ADHD, a vision impairment. He has sensory processing disorder, some developmental delays. Really, as he gets older, they're just kind of adding on and on as we see as he grows. This year we've kind of added anxiety, but it's just, I think, in a, a culmination of things from the ASD and from the pituitary issues. Dad, let me ask you this, but what did you think when you found out that you had kids that might have some special needs? It was uh, very similar to the reaction that, uh, <laughs> that, that my wife had, um, you know, denial, disbelief, fear, and then with eventual, uh, okay, what are we, what are, what are we going to do? What do we need to do? Right. And, and so on. And I think one of the things that really made it easier for me was my wife. My wife was absolutely amazing at research, advocating, and really just getting, you know, finding as many answers and being as prepared as possible. Um, whenever we had our any kind of doctor's visits or appointments, she really made a point of, you know, using that time very wisely and having, you know, almost an agenda as opposed to them dictating what the appointment would be. Yeah. So you have experiences in, within your family. Yes. You also uh, lost a child uh, yes. that had a disability. Was that helpful? for you and in your journey in accepting your reality as a, as a parent of these two active little boys? Well, it definitely made me look at things differently, gave me a different perspective, mm -hmm. I would say. You know, having the losses and then having the holoprocephaly in the family made us just thankful that we have both of them right. in our lives, obviously. So we started to not really look at their disabilities, but their abilities. It really changed our perspective and our mindset. And then obviously made us very appreciative because the chances, we have a 50-50% chance every time we reproduce. And so the fact that they're both here is a miracle to us. And we realize that now after we have had our losses and our whole family realizes it after we lost my brother. So this is, Having them here is everything to us. No, that's great. What is the typical day like for you guys? Well, you can see the typical day is a lot of movement, <laughs> a lot of redirection, a lot of communication, extra communication. With the hormone growth disorder, they have to take injections of hormone growth therapy. So Jake has not started yet. He will be starting in January. Trent has been on them for several years now. So it's a daily routine of injections for him. He'll be on them the rest of his life. They have some other dietary supplements and things that they need, but we we try to keep every day as planned out as we possibly can. That's what works best for Trent, which in turn works best for us as a family. So whatever we can do to let them know to expect what's happening throughout the day, that seems to be the best. So we kind of prepare them in the morning. This is what's happening. They have the same routine for bedtime. They have the same routine throughout the day. They're both very active. We try to keep them in swimming and other sports, school, and just a typical day. I mean, we manage it like a regular day. I appreciate that. 
You had an interesting story with diagnosis in the first place. Yes. Right. Yes. First, Dad, you want to talk about that a little bit, and then I'll have you uh, finish up that little bit. Yeah. Sure. And, and not necessarily dwelling on what the, what the doctors didn't do, but what the what the doctor that got it right did do right, because yeah. I think that would such a powerful message to doctors out there of what they need to do to get it right. Do you want to speak to that? Well, I'll never forget that the very first phone call. The way that we found the, the doctor that first listened to Jessica is we we had gone through a uh, a number of doctors early on in entrance life, and um, most of which you know dismissed it as normal or your first time parents allergies. Allergies. Um, there was a number of things that um, that was dismissed. So when she walked into this practice and was able to have a conversation, I, I remember it vividly because she called me, you know, pretty upset, saying that she spoke with the doctor and they believe that there's something genetically wrong with Trent. And so it startled me, of course, and kind of threw everything into perspective because now all of a sudden a lot of things were starting to make sense that maybe it wasn't just normal because I think for the first few years, you know, I think I justified things in my head very much so as the doctors would say, oh, it's just normal or you're just first time parents. And so again, it, it was Jessica who really kind of, you know, had this feeling or this inkling that this was not normal. This was, there was, was some, there was something else there. And thankfully she fought for it and, and really went out seeking answers. What were your thoughts with this doctor and when so, you finally got the diagnosis of what was going on? So this doctor was completely different. This doctor, she treated us like people instead of another patient. So our first appointment with her, she came into the room and she actually asked questions that weren't, that she already knew the answer to, I should say. So she was very much about his health as a whole. She took detailed notes. She asked me questions that a lot of other doctors hadn't asked and really listened to every part of the background of his medical and his behavior. I had spoken to her a bit during the actual, the first consultation about how we kept getting the runaround on diagnosis about, oh, it's an allergy, it's this or that. So I was going in thinking, I'm probably gonna get the same type of answer. So she actually was different in a way that she immediately went to me as the expert on my child. She looked at it as through that perspective so that changed the entire ballgame. And she was the first person to sit and actually listen instead of coming in with a preconceived notion of what this is just by looking at what I had filled out. She brought nothing in with her but a piece of paper and a pen, took notes and listened to my concerns. And by the end, she said, you're right. She said, there is something going on here. You're not a new crazy mom. It's not an allergy. These symptoms that you're describing are not typical. And I'm going to find out what it is. And that she did. She went on a mission. She said, I can't tell you what it is, which was also a huge thing for a doctor to say. Typically, a doctor always tells us, oh, this is exactly what it is. They know. She was very open about saying, I need to do some research. I need to reach out to some other fellow doctors. Let me see. So she took quite a bit of notes and she got back with us and 
picked up the phone and called us, which is also super rare. What doctor picks up the phone and calls you personally? So she started to call us personally and she put together a team of different specialists that brought us to the growth hormone disorder diagnosis. And after that, she kept managing us. She's a complex care pediatrician. So she kept managing Trent's case. And she, every single time we would go in, she said, okay, we have this component figured out. I think something else, I think we need to look down this avenue now. So as we were going, she steered us in the direction every single time into what our next diagnosis was and followed through. She still follows through. She still picks up the phone and calls us. And she has kept an eye on Jake since he was born, visited him at the hospital, did his first exam, and she's been monitoring him. And she manages Trent's case entirely and has just been, she's been life-changing for us. So what did you think when you finally got a diagnosis? Well, when I finally got a diagnosis, my first thought was relief, honestly, because I thought, okay, I'm not, I'm not crazy. I'm not, I've been battling this for almost three years. He was very sick, as a very sick baby, a toddler, always in and out of the hospital or in and out of the doctor's offices. So I finally, I had a sense of relief. Like there was an answer. There was an answer to this, what this problem was. So finally I felt relief, but that relief was soon changed into grief, into sadness, into a question of what's next. How do I help him? What do we do? This is rare. I've never heard of this before. This is rare. So what do we do? So I went into panic mode, really. I went into panic mode and I just started researching as much as I could to just become as educated as I possibly could on it. But I felt so much relief at first that went into so many emotions after that. Every emotion, every emotion. But fear, I would say, is the biggest because you don't know. It's the unknown. What things helped you through the grief process? There were a lot of things, I think. I pushed the grief aside for so long because I was so determined to figure out a way to help him. So the grief was kind of something that I just kind of pushed to the side, pushed to the side. Once I was able to accept the diagnosis and uh, focus on his abilities instead of his disabilities, I was able to kind of move on from the grief it's still there. It's always going to be there. The grief is always going to be there. But I manage it a little bit differently now because I feel more educated on all of their different diagnoses. So it's just, it'll always be there, I think. How about you? What's been your journey with coming to acceptance and, and getting through that? I don't know, if, did you have a grief process too? And <clears throat> Yes, um, you know, it, my grief, I think the way I handle grief is I probably compartmentalize it a little bit more. I'm a little bit more analytical in personality. So, you know, it's it's really more about not necessarily the emotion that I'll put forth, but it's really about, okay, what do we do next? How can we, what's the next process, you know, and, and that sort of thing. And so that's really kind of where we've been taking it at this point is, okay, so now we have this information and what are we doing about it now? Now, the biggest adjustment I've had through the journey is really having an understanding that a diagnosis leads to potentially more diagnoses and, mm-hmm. and the change of events or a change of situations as Trent has grown. You know, so it's really saying, 
okay, we have this information now, we're going to go down this path. But also, I think in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about, okay, what's the what piece of information is going to come to us next? So, uh, and you may have already addressed this, but I'm going to ask it again. Now that you're, I assume, past some of that, right. how do you feel now? about the situation. Very optimistic, a little bit more knowledgeable, confident. Those are probably the best things that I I feel for all of it. I feel that Trent is gonna have a amazing future. He's gonna do some amazing things. It's not gonna come necessarily easy or naturally, but that's not gonna change the outcome at all. Okay, how about you now that you've kind of worked through this? how, How are you feeling now? I still feel scared, honestly. I feel scared. I don't know the fear of the unknown. It seems that there are so many different changes with his diagnosis. And having autism, you don't really know what to expect. Each year as he grows, as Jonathan mentioned, different things are different. There's different difficulties. So I am more informed. I do feel more confident as well. I feel that I'm able to handle the emotions of everything better, but I'm still scared. I'm still scared of the unknown. I think we spent so much time not having a diagnosis that that's always going to impact me. I'll never forget that feeling and that feeling still lingers. I still think, is there another diagnosis coming? We don't know. We we do have, we've done full genetic testing and we were just called recently that his genetic testing, Trent's testing was re-ran and they found something this time. So we will be going back to medical genetics in December and we don't know what that holds or what that means. So the process of accepting one diagnosis and then moving on to the next and the fear of the unknown is just big for me. It's always going to be there and always linger. I do feel like I'm able to have more conversations with the doctors now, whereas before I was very quiet and I kind of didn't ask enough questions. I feel like I ask enough questions now. I feel like I can talk to what his symptoms are more. But again, we were just hit recently with a random phone call after two years from medical genetics that came in and said, hey, the company re-ran his testing. They found something and we're gonna call you in in December and discuss the findings. That came out of nowhere. I mean, we thought we were on a good path. We had a good role going and then this came out of nowhere. So you just never know, we never know. Sure. I think, unless there's something else about challenges you want to talk about, why don't you share a little bit about the joys that you've experienced? There are a lot of joys. Trent is unique, so unique. You never, he's a mystery as well. You never quite know what you're going to get. He keeps us on our toes. Both boys do. They're both the same and different, if that makes sense. They both have their own exceptionalities. But to me, one of the biggest joys has been watching them succeed in certain areas that I know are extremely difficult for them. So when we get these milestones that come across that are just typical for other people that aren't typical for us, it's a huge joy. When Trent was in pre-K, we were always told that he was going to be held back or he wasn't going to be able to be in the school system. And I will never forget the day that I got a picture from his teacher with a certification certificate that said, Trent is kindergarten ready. That day was huge for me. Sure. (laughs) That day, um, it made him feel like a typical child. And he had never had that before in any school setting. I'll never forget that day. He had the biggest smile on his face. 
that you've ever seen. He was so proud, so proud of him. And I was so proud of him because he was so happy. He had never experienced that before. Yeah, that's great. I'm sorry. No, it's all great. I'm sorry. No, 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 it's perfect. Tell me about some of the joys you've had as, as being dad. The joys really just come from just being proud and really, for me, it's a, I, a lot of it is to go with a lot of just parenting in general. You know, you, we're happy when he succeeds. We look for milestones and reassurances that we're, do, you know, us as parents are doing the right things. When I see Trent overcome an obstacle um, that didn't come naturally to him, it gives me great joy. I think about, you know, this summer we were determined to learn to ride a bike without training wheels. And um, the first few go-arounds, it was not very good. But as the summer progressed, we made the goal that we're gonna practice and that we're gonna try. And and there was a lot of frustration on, on, on his part, but now he can you know get out the bike and, and ride his bike just like a lot of other kids. And so when I see those types of things, when I see that, you know, that he is overcoming something that I know he, you know, from day one has struggled with or, or that sort of thing, I think that those are probably in the most joyful moments. Mm. Um, you know, I, and I think another one that probably hit me just as much was, you know, Jessica, you know, spends a lot of time supporting Trent at school. And, you know, she sent this one picture with, it was a group of three kids and Trent and they all had their arms around each other and they're walking down, you know, right down the hallway. And, and I know through our interactions in social settings that that's not something that comes natural uh, for him to have friends or make friends. And so I, I think it's that right there reassured us that we're doing the right things. And so, sure. so tell me a little bit about the impact that these boys and especially Trent has had on your immediate family or friends or you know those things? So our immediate family is very close. My dad, my mom, uh, my sister were basically joined at the hip. <laughs> so it impacted our immediate family very greatly. I think for my sister and my parents, they were watching their daughter struggle. They were watching me struggle emotionally. And then they were watching me struggle with trying to find the best path for Trent. They watched me struggle emotionally when we started to see signs in Jake with the hormone growth disorder. And then they were also grieving in their own ways about their grandchildren or their nephew. So they were getting hit twice as hard. And now that I'm a parent and I'm an aunt, I realize that they it hits you hard. It hits you twice. It doesn't just hit you once. So for them, they didn't want to do anything to make matters worse, so that any more stresses, but they were grieving in their own way, but they are super supportive and they are best friends with the boys. My dad has a very special relationship with both boys and my mom has always been super supportive. My sister has always been a great sounding board for me and has been personally very supportive to me as well. And they love the boys and they love them hard. They love them hard. That's great. So what advice would you give to a, a mom out there that might be starting a journey similar to yours? The advice I would give you is to follow your instincts. I had a really difficult time. I really wish I would have pushed harder in the beginning. 
I should have followed my instincts. I really should have pushed and pushed and pushed instead of just said, okay, and trusted what a medical professional said just because they were a medical professional. So I would say, follow your instinct. You are the expert on your child. Continue to advocate for them and ask questions and do your research and just continue to be that expert on your child and always know that you are the number one most important person on your child's team. And keeping that in the forefront of your mind really gets me through. I think it's the best advice I could ever give is to just always remain the number one player on your kid's team. Awesome. Perfect. Tell me about your advocacy. So once I decided that I was part of the team, instead of just somebody that was coming in and listening to the doctors, I started kind of challenging and asking more questions and deciding this is what's best and working with them together. I was able to advocate for him more. I was able to kind of say, hey, this is not working for us as a family. I don't think this is going to work for him. So I really became his voice in that way. And I felt a little bit more empowered each time. And that led to me wanting to help other families and teach them that they can ask questions. They don't have to come into the room and be a secondary person in their room. They can come in and be the expert on their child. And you started an organization. I did. I started Collaborative Corner for Exceptional Children. You know, advocacy turned into such a big passion for me because after I learned that I'm the expert on my child, I wanted to teach others that they are the expert on their child as well. So I developed Collaborative Corner for Exceptional Children, and it's a nonprofit organization, and we help all families in need. We have a, a large panel of specialists, and we do everything from education advocacy, speech therapy, occupational therapy, behavior parent advocacy. We're a sounding board for a lot of families and we're also um, an organization that is free of cost to anyone in the community. What did you want to accomplish with this nonprofit organization? The main accomplishment that I wanted for Collaborative Corner was first and foremost to give parents a place that they can go for acceptance and for answers. So initially, I just wanted one centralized hub that people could go to to get simple answers to questions that they had that in their normal daily lives, what they would have to do is they would have to pick up the phone and leave a voicemail for a nurse and wait to hear or make a doctor's appointment. I wanted to take that step away. So questions like just simple questions about your child's speech progression or their behavior, families can email us directly and get those answers answered immediately. They don't have to wait. They don't have to take off of work. They don't have to do anything outside of the ordinary. Then send a quick email and we give a response immediately and help them in any way that we can. So I really wanted to take out that whole component of I have to do X, Y, and Z before I can get the answer to one simple question. It was so difficult to get answers. And I wanted to also offer people one area that had information on multiple 
different diagnosis. So if your child, as we know, it just everything snowballs. So they get a diagnosis, then they need speech therapy. They need occupational therapy. They need behavior therapy. So I wanted to put it all in one place so that way they didn't have to go to five different locations just to find out what they needed to do next or the answers to their questions. So we offer resources. We offer national resources. We offer local resources. And then we also work as advocates, education advocates. We work all together as one so that we can really be a one-stop shop for the family. We can tell them where they want to go for speech therapy. We can answer their questions. We can help them with an education plan. So it's really just how we can help the family as a whole and that has really been what we've been able to accomplish and it's working great for us right now. Super. Awesome. 